The Lord God called Jonah to go to Nineveh to do some preaching. So Nineveh stayed far away, and Jonah immediately booked passage to Tarshish. Tarshish was a dream. It's the kind of city you're hoping God will send you to when you get done with seminary. We're told in 2 Chronicles that Solomon went to Tarshish. He brought back gold and silver and ivory and peacocks. Yes, O God, send me to the church that has peacocks. It would be great to serve pretty people. We don't know where Tarshish was even located. And isn't that an interesting metaphor? I have friends in the ministry who've spent their entire careers searching for Tarshish. They don't know where it's located. They're working hard to find it. This ideal dream church that they will be able to serve. One of my roles at the seminary that I serve in Pittsburgh is to assist students as they fill out their dossiers on their way to their first church appointment in the Presbyterian Church. There's this large form that they have to fill out, lots of essays in it, uh, in order to have an appointment. And one of the questions is, describe the kind of church you would like to serve. The responses are predictable. I want to go to serve a church where every member of this church loves Jesus Christ, where their lives are centered in the word of God and they come completely under the authority of that word, and where collectively they are absolutely devoted to being a missional church in this community, in this world. They might as well have said, I'd like to go to Tarshish. They forgot about the peacocks. If the congregation has all these attributes, it would be spectacular, wouldn't it? But of course, they wouldn't actually need a pastor, would they? It's kind of like a doctor saying he wants to work in a hospital that has no sick people. Our job is to go to the places that only have a dream of being centered in the word and in the mission of Jesus Christ. Tarshish, remember, it may not have existed at all. It could just be a myth. By contrast, we know that Nineveh was a very real city. The text of Jonah numbers the uh, people in it. It measures the size of it. It was the capital of Assyria, Israel's great enemy. Oh, God, no, no. Don't ever send me to a church where I'll have enemies. Nineveh was nobody's dream. Except God's. The people of Nineveh were making huge mistakes. They had become wicked, the text tells us. And so God was dreaming of a day that they would repent. And that's why God sent Jonah and why God will send you to Nineveh. When Basil of Caesarea 
arranged for his younger brother to become ordained and to become a bishop, he sent him to Nyssa. Nyssa was not Tarshish. It was a completely unremarkable city that had nothing to recommend it. No one built a good ecclesiastical career in Nyssa. When Gregory complained, Basil said, I'm not sending you to Nyssa to confer distinction upon you. I'm sending you to Nyssa for you to confer distinction upon it. The question is not how close can you get to Tarshish in your next call. The question is how do you help the people of Nyssa or the people of Nineveh repent? Which just means to turn around, to stop moving away from God and to turn back towards God. It helps a whole lot to remember that Nineveh is already a holy city before you get to it. It's holy because it belongs to God, as all places do. But the people have turned away from this holiness with their addictions to work, with their addictions to a cycle of hurting each other, settling into their self-absorbed anxiety, with their soul-numbing arguments about can junior highs eat pizza in the parlor of the women decorated? And they've just settled into all of this despair, which is about the most wicked thing you can ever do. That's where you come in. Your calling is not to calm all that down. Your calling is to give them better arguments. Your calling is to nurture them in the argument that God has with them. And if you don't really want this kind of job, if you don't really want to spend the rest of your life serving a church in Nineveh, God doesn't care. <laughs> As Jonah will explain to you, the Lord has some interesting ways of getting you to Nineveh anyway. brings us to our New Testament text when at the very end of John's gospel, after all of the good news of what Jesus has been trying to reveal to his disciples, how does that story end with Peter? With him telling Peter, you know, when you were young, you girded yourself. You went where you want to. When you grow older, someone else is going to bind you and take you to a place you would rather not go. There it is. That's what spiritual maturity is. Being led to this place you would rather not go, but you go there only in order to follow the Savior who's determined to take you there. One of the most vivid days in my memory was the day I graduated from seminary. I'll never forget this moment. Um, I was there with my friends who had gone through the seminary experience with me. It was graduation. We were in this lovely uh, chapel. Uh, in Princeton, it was all gothic. It was a very exciting day for us. We all were wearing our new pulpit robes for the first time that we had bought. Brand new, right out of the box. We had jobs. We were trained. We were uniformed. We were ready to roll. Our commencement speaker uh, was Henry Nowen. 
he would lean over the pulpit as he preached with this heavy Dutch accent. And he was preaching from this text in John 21. And he just kept pressing the question, do you love Jesus? Do you? We're going, yeah, that's why we're here. <laughs> do you love Jesus? Do you? Three times we went through this, just like Jesus. Do you love him? And he said, be careful of your response. Because it will mean going to a place you would rather not go. He will take you now to the church. And the church loves, loves committee meetings that go on forever and accomplish very little. <laughs> church will take you to a place of conflict, to a place of scandal, because the church is addicted to its conflicts and its scandals. Church will lead you to people who prefer the misery they know to the mystery they do not. Some of the most true words I've ever heard about ministry. People prefer the misery they know to the mystery they do not. Doesn't make sense. Logically, mystery beats misery any day, but people are not logical about their misery. They befriend it. They become victims to it. And now one was saying, that's the place Jesus will lead you. But it is also Jesus who leads you there because these are the places in need of a savior. And then he said the most hopeful words. Your job when you go to these places is not to be Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. You're not going to fix any of this. What salvation will unfold will unfold only at the hands of the Messiah. Your job is to witness it, to point to it, and to spend your lives giving doxology for every glimpse you see of it. That's what we do. Jesus is waiting for you in Nineveh. He's already been at work there. Your job's not to turn Nineveh around, certainly not to turn it into Tarshish. Your job is to watch the glimpses of Jesus that you get there, to point to the salvation that slowly unfolds. In the words of the poet Gerald Manley Hopkins, Christ is at play in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs, lovely in eyes not his, to the Father through the features of human faces. Christ is at play. What did Hopkins mean by that? Does he mean that Christ is in play in the sense that Christ is at work? Does he mean that Christ is um, unfolding a play, a, a heavenly drama in the, the congregation? Maybe. Perhaps he meant simply that Christ is at play. And to know that you are in Nineveh only to follow Jesus Christ means that you are also made playful as if the church is doxological playground. Well, that's not exactly what Jonah had in mind, was it? He's certainly not a model of spiritual playfulness even when he does get to Nineveh. He is anything but winsome in his preaching. He sternly warns the people with his bad dog sermons that they are in a heap of trouble and they had better turn or they are going to burn didn't take a lot of convincing. Most people know when they are in trouble with God, they just don't know what to do about it. So to Jonah's dismay, the people of Nineveh 
all repent and turn back to God. And God is so delighted by their return home that the text says God changed his mind about the calamity he said he would bring to them. Isn't that striking? God changed his mind. Can God do that? That has some frightening implications if we take it out of context, doesn't it? My advice is, don't take it out of context. (laughs) Here, it just means that God can be moved. God is moved as people move back to God. God is moved by the prayers and the faithfulness of God's preachers. And even God can be playful, doxological, revealing joy when prodigals come home. But not Jonah. No. He will have none of this playfulness. He gets furious at the end of the text. Finally, he just tells God, if this is the way you're going to treat me, just kill me and get it over with. And the Lord, you can imagine shaking his head, says, oh, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Should I not be concerned about all these people in Nineveh? There it is. That's what God is worried about. God's worried about Nineveh. God's worried about people who have befriended their misery. God's worried about people who have settled into despair. And God is very, very worried about preachers who think they are too righteous to join Jesus Christ, who is at work in the dirty playgrounds of Nineveh. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.